wisdom from heaven for life on earth. Practical studies from Proverbs. Not verse by verse through Proverbs, but subject by subject through the book of Proverbs. And you think, I think you have five points. Is that correct in your notes? You can answer me. Is that right? Five? Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do one and five. That's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to do one and five, and you'll have notes, and you can look at two, three, and four. That way we'll have time for worship. We'll have time for uh, these brethren to share with us, which is kind of a special treat that we have. We'll have time for prayer for needs, and we won't feel like we're rushing to get everything done. I know some come with little kids, and you want to get them home at a good time, and we're going to work hard to make all those things happen in a good way. The way of the wise, how to know if you're on it. Last week we started our subject study in the book of Proverbs by defining the nature of wisdom and and essentially learning to walk in God's ways. And one of the things that the writer stresses about wisdom is the diligence required to be a wise person. If you call out for wisdom, remember the text we looked at. If you cry out for it, dig for it as silver. A lazy person can be a clever person. A lazy person can be a brilliant person. But a lazy person can never be a wise person. Wisdom requires diligence. It requires effort. So are you a wise person? Well, the book of Proverbs in our first study, rooting wisdom in a love of God's law, a treasuring of God's will and way, and obedience. That's what we talked about last week, the general nature of wisdom. Now I want to get down to some very specific manifestations of wisdom in our lives. How to know if you're a wise person. And like I said, there are five listed. I'm only going to do the first one, and I'm going to do the last one, one and five. Let's just pray together. There's nothing we treasure more than your word. Your word gives light. And your word gives us truth to which we can anchor our lives. But only your Holy Spirit can take your word and cause the truth of it to to hang on in our hearts after we close our Bibles. Only, Only your Holy Spirit can take truth and ingrain it into our hearts and lives. And we thank you for the privilege we have, again, on this Lord's Day. We open up our Bibles, but we call upon you to open up our hearts, especially on these two aspects of wisdom that not one person in this room is naturally inclined to. We are all inclined in the opposite direction of these two manifestations of wisdom. We need your help. We confess our sins at the beginning of this service. We don't do it often enough, probably corporately, for things that were said this past week that we'd be embarrassed if everyone else heard, for things that were indulged in in our hearts, for thoughts of pride for every moment that we lived life independently of you, for every minute on the clock where we didn't love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, who among us could stand if it weren't for your grace? 
Come, Jesus, wash us clean again in your house. Oh, how we love your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here are the two points. One, a wise person is humble enough to restrain his own instincts and receive both correction and instruction. And correction and instruction aren't the same thing. I can give instruction to someone without correcting them. But when correction comes, it it takes a bit more humility because correction means not only was I ignorant of something I needed to be instructed in, but I was mistaken in something I was thinking or something I was doing. It takes a wise person to deal properly with correction and instruction. The problem we have, of course, is Proverbs 14, 12. There's a, there's a way, a way that seems right to a man, but the end of the way is death. Which man? Well, just about everybody. My opinion that the path is right doesn't make the path right. That's a simple sentence, but it flies in the face. It's a very counter cultural statement because we live in a world where if you believe something very sincerely, then that's your truth. That's true for you, good for you, works for you. And so, and so the correctness of your life is created by your opinion of it, as long as you honestly believe it. The wise person, if I hide the word in my heart, I will have a standard by which to know the right path. Now, that's good, but it's not enough. That in itself, me knowing the right path, doesn't guarantee me walking in the right path. Every time, so here we are tonight, we have Bibles, and we're looking at this subject, and we're studying wisdom, and we take a point like this, and acknowledging the truth of that point doesn't by itself bring my life in line with it. Every time I see truth in God's Word, if I'm a wise person, I will have to determine to allow that truth to to override, overrule, direct my life, even if it's contrary to what I feel is right for securing my life, satisfying my life, enjoying my life, establishing it on my own terms. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to you, to me. My own experience is most of the time, we don't have a hard time lining that up with God's will and God's way as he reveals it. But once in a while, God speaks and we feel like, no, we don't say it because we know better than to say it out loud. But we just press on with, "This, this this is what I need to. And we justify. Pursue our own course. So the fall, that... Genesis fall has ensured that there will almost always be, at least occasionally, in your heart and mind, in every one of us in this room, there will always be times when God's way seems either too costly or too impractical, not something that's going to function well in a society like ours. 
And before I can successfully admit God's way is right, the writer of Proverbs tells me I will probably have to pause and first admit that I am wrong. And this is, this is the hardest part of walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom takes incredible humility. It's repeated, this theme, quite a bit. We're doing these subject studies. That idea, the hardest part of walking in wisdom, and the humility required to walk in wisdom. It's repeated in places like Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So there it is. There's the instruction in wisdom. That covers all the ways that the truth finds exposure in my mind and yours. Books, reading, sermons, meditation, teachings, podcasts. But, but before that instruction of wisdom, before God can bring any honor into our hearts from his wonderful truth, before the blessing of that truth is made apparent and manifest, there needs to be this response of humility to the truth that we hear. In other words, in other words, the Bible doesn't put the impartation of wisdom solely on the part of the speaker, the teacher, the book, the podcast when it comes to growth and wisdom. A key factor is the humility of the learner. There has to be a heart of wisdom. Proverbs 9, 8, and 9. Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man... And he will increase in learning. Why does the wise person have the advantage of gaining wisdom faster than the scoffer? Well, because the wise person has already learned the secret of receiving. The wise person knows his own limitations. The wise person knows his own inclinations. The wise person is aware of his own propensity to argue against the ways of God when they don't seem convenient or easy, or immediately satisfying. He knows that the way up is down. He doesn't war against his own benefit the way an unwise hearer does. He can admit when he's wrong. Proverbs 17.10, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. There's a verse. It's a mistake to think a wise person never makes errors. He does. It's a mistake to think that the wise person is infallible. He's not. Uh, the book of Proverbs zeroes in on a much deeper, more meaningful manifestation of wisdom. It has more to do with how the wise person responds to correction, how he learns from mistakes that he has made. 
In essence, the wise person is humble enough to know how to cut his or her losses. He knows how to get out, how to rise above repeating the same faults over and over again. What a picture. You can take a fool, a hundred blows. Heard about the two farmers? One bought a mule from the other one. It's going to have him work. Before he bought it, the one farmer said, does, does he listen? And the farmer selling the mule said, absolutely, he, he's obedient, he'll listen. So they exchanged cash. Farmer number two got up on the mule, did everything he could. Let's go! Ha! Mule just sat there, didn't move. And he was doing everything he could think of to get this mule going. Nothing. The other farmer was still in speaking distance, and he says, Hey, I gave you the money. I thought you told me this mule would listen. And the other farmer came up and found an old fence post that had been laying down on the ground. He walked around to the front of the mule. He picked up the fence post, and as hard as he could, he just went wham, and he hit the mule on the head. He said, Get going. The mule started going. And the farmer that bought the mule said, You told me this mule would listen. And the farmer that was selling said, he does listen. You, you just have to get his attention first. See, there's the fool <laughs> right there. A hundred blows won't do for a fool what, what reproof and correction will do to a wise person. Oh, church, do, do you want to be a wise person? Then if you're here tonight and you're, you're under 30, let me tell you now, Rise above the inward inclination to argue with God. Just determine right off the bat that he is always right. And when you disagree with him, you are never right. All right. Like I promised. Point number five. If you're here and you're visiting, I need you to know that whatever you think of this service, you are witnessing a miracle tonight. (laughs) The kind of time that I'm spending here is what people who come to this church all the time, this is what they dream of. A wise person resists peer pressure. And I wanted to close with this point Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It's not rocket science. It's a pretty simple verse. There are still a lot of traits of wisdom we could study and some we will. Three you have in the notes tonight. You can go over on your own. But I wanted to wrap up with this one because... Without doubt, I would say it is the chief cause of folly in moral, decent, and otherwise godly people. And, and that is not just an opinion. I think it is evidenced in the way this verse is set up. The context of this verse would back up what I just said, that it's a problem even for godly people. These words 
aren't addressed to the people you would normally class as foolish in the book of Proverbs. There are people who lose their temper. There are people who are lazy. There are people who, all sorts of things, and you can spot them throughout the book of Proverbs and see how they're discussed. This this, uh, instruction in 110 is set in the context of a totally different group of people. In fact, let me read to you the setting for this verse. If you go back to verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, and notice how 110, my son, if sinners entice you, it's, it's kind of a family remark. Hear, my son, verse 8, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Here's someone starting off well. Here is someone, according to the setting for our instruction, the words are addressed to a person with a good upbringing. The words are addressed to a person who has had a lot of good instruction. The words are addressed to a person for whom the fear of the Lord has been properly instilled. Instruction, teaching haven't just been heard. These verses say they've come to actually grace and decorate the life. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck in ASB. Here's someone on a good track. Here's someone with a godly upbringing. Here's somebody in the church trying hard to follow Jesus. Here's someone who takes sermon notes. Here's someone who has devotions. Here's someone who seems to have a good reverence for life and his or her head screwed on right. But they're not out of danger. There's still something that can undo all of, boy, all of that wonderful potential that's bound up in that righteous little heart. There is, there is the constant pull of other sinners enticing. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. There's process, and there's a response. The process is gradual, and it's persistent. That's the nature of enticement. It's not the same as an explosion. It's not the same as a collapse. It's, it's, it's a luring. It's, it's an enticing. It's subtle. It's sustained. It's usually fairly silent. It's not something that's caved into in a moment, but there is There is, in the culture in which we live, there is something that constantly just tugs our lives in an ungodly direction. That's what enticement means. And and, and there's there's no church, there's no Bible program, there's no knowledge, there's no background that can keep anyone from enticement. It comes... Every day, it comes to the young, it comes to the old, it is something absolutely relentless. You will be enticed to sin this week, everyone in this room. 
in some way, in some form, it's that silent magnetic drawing. Because there's no avoiding enticement, well, there needs to be a planned response to it. If, if, in other words, if the enticement is gradual, the refusal must be abrupt. Here's what we learn about wisdom. If you're, if you're going to walk in wisdom, here's one of its traits. Wisdom recognizes the enticement of a sinful culture. And just as the enticement is subtle, gradual, the response is abrupt and sudden. In other words, wise people don't negotiate with enticement. Everybody get that? Wise people don't negotiate with enticement. Wise people know in advance how they're going to respond when they're enticed into any kind of sin. Wise people get up in the morning, they put their feet on the floor, and they sort out in their mind where they're going that day, what they're doing, what the potential dangers are. And before they ever get there, they've slammed the door on temptations that haven't even arrived yet. Everybody get what I'm saying? My son. My daughter. If sinners entice you, and they will, don't consent. Don't argue. Don't negotiate. Have already determined in your heart how you're going to respond. And the reason I closed with that is this. All those five traits, we only looked at two. Take all five of them. And everything else you'll hear and learn about wisdom will be useless if when you're enticed by a culture that very slickly knows how to draw Christians away from Christ, if you're prepared to look at those options, you're done. You're done. Blessed is the man who not walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. I love this. He's like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. My son, if sinners entice, slam the door. Don't negotiate. Let's pray.